Welcome back to Growth Colony. For those of you who are first time listeners, you'll be hearing from B2B founders, CMOs and marketing leaders. We chat about the newest and most effective tools and strategies in the B2B space. I'm Alex Hipwell with Xgrowth and your co-host for this podcast where we go candid with our guest successes and failures so you don't make the same mistakes. At least hopefully you don't. Let's dive in. Let's dive right into it. Nathan, we're going to be talking about analytics, especially when it comes to SaaS products. So, uh, so now before we dive into that, some people might have not heard of yourself or Drawboard. Can you give sure. us a 30 second, uh, 30 second pitch? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, hi, I'm Nathan. I head up marketing at Drawboard. We started Drawboard about six and a half years ago, seven years ago. The, the basis of what we do is we make it really easy for people to collaborate on PDF uh, techno- on PDF documents. So whether you are in the legal industry or in the finance industry, we start out. We started out with design and construction because it's a heavily paper-based industry, um, and we're making it really easy for people to collaborate on the top of, um, of the, the typical PDF documents that they would otherwise print out, or they would use um, outdated and um, very single-user-based uh, products. So. We have two products. Drawable PDF um, was pre-installed on uh, Surface devices worldwide a few years ago, which was awesome. And that was really a market test for us to begin with. We were like, do, do people want to annotate on a PDF document? Uh, it turns out they did. We were pre-installed. And then we, we actually created our second product, which is the collaborative one for, for architecture and engineering. And that makes it easy for everyone to collaborate on top of a PDF at the same time. You've got your chat there. You've got your tasks, assignable tasks. And we really specialize in uh, pressure-sensitive ink. So we've got a, a bit of a mixed model, which I think people will be interested to hear about in terms of a buy once, own forever app with an in-app subscription, as well as a full SaaS product. Um, and we've got a lot of plans this year. So that's the 45-second version. Thank you very much. Now, absolute gem from uh, a startup gem right here from from Melbourne, and an amazing story. I mean, getting on on uh, on uh, Microsoft products and being a a uh, part of the suite that's that's a that's a hard task to accomplish. And and now the play in the B two B. Now, when it comes to analytics, let's let's dive into that. And before we do that, let's get some definitions right and uh, and make sure we're all on the same page. One of the one of the major things when when we're talking about analytics is event based versus click or cookie based analytics, yeah. right? Yeah. Can you give us a, little, a quick definition of what are those two and why why they matter? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when people first start out to use something like Google Analytics, um, and Google Analytics is a fantastic product. It's it's a really good place to start, and you can get it's really powerful for, for funnel stuff for marketing as well. But the basis of what Google Analytics lets you do, for the most part, is what we like to call clickstream analytics. And what that means is you're getting analytics from the user's response to the server. So, for example, if I'm browsing drawboard.com um, and I click on a pricing page, I'll have a request that's sent out from me to the drawboard.com server and then it's come back. And what Google Analytics does is it says, okay, I'll... I'll measure the fact that you did that page change and I'll measure the time between that one and the next one and then I'll do some some session metrics around that. So Clickstream is measuring 
the user's click flow through either your your website or your web app or your uh, or your, your, your software products. Event stream is it's essentially a graduation on top of a click stream where instead of just tracking the user's responses, uh, server responses, um, you're tracking the user's actual behavior of what they do in your web app. And what that requires is it's a little bit more technical in its implementation, but you're able to ask the question, what specifically do I want to track? I want to track in terms of a user's behavior. And then all of those minute details are sent to your analytics tool. So if we're thinking about Google Analytics, it do, it's mostly session-based. Uh, sorry, it's mostly clickstream-based. And it does have a bit of an event section in there that you can use for funnel metrics. But it's, it's night and day compared to when you're using a fully event stream product. Uh, one on top, top of mind is something like Mixpanel, which is you're able to um, make much more custom segmented data personalization based on the actual behavior of the user, not just the pages they viewed. Gotcha. Gotcha. And yeah, and I think, you know, Google Analytics, obviously, there's a massive shortcoming. I mean, web app, it's it's clunky to create. But when you're talking about a native app, that's almost becomes uh, becomes a, a complete pain to to use Google Analytics. But yep. all right, cool. So that's that's good to get that out of the way, the definition of, of what events are and, and click, click stream. Yep. So now let's let's talk about maturity of analytics right mm. because we're going to have some some of the audience are going to be from the early stages of a startup hey we're we've maybe just built the product or we may be doing planning for how to do analytics we're putting a tracking plan in place and all that some people might have some users and some paying customers over there and some might be in the thousands if they're in in the b2c or or even in in b2b Mm-hmm. How does the maturity of analytics for a SaaS company look like? What do I need to worry about in the early stages, and then you know once I get some traction? Mm, that's great. I mean, a lot of it comes down to the questions that you uh, framing your questions really well. So when you are an earlier stage uh, company, the questions you're going to ask of your data is going to be very different to when you've gone through a seed round, a couple of bridge rounds in series A, whatever that looks like, the audience is also very different. So when you're starting out, um, if I were to suggest anything if, as a base minimum, you need to get your uh, your licensing data down because that allows you to get basic metrics like churn and LTV and MRR down pat. So churn um, is how many users leave your app and usually you measure that on a, on a what's called a cohort graph. So I would be able to see of a user who started on day zero, um, did that, was that user retained on day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, N, right? LTV is lifetime value. So based on a known user, how much can we expect based on segments or aggregate of all of our users, what the value of a user is over time. Uh, and MRR is uh, monthly recurring revenue. So a lot of people annualize that or, or depending on your, your audience is. So knowing what, having licensing data, particularly if you're a, a SaaS company, as I'm expecting most of, of the people listening are or are interested in, in creating, licensing data is, is absolutely number one. The second one, especially if we think about the stages that a user will come through from acquiring them all the way to retaining them, the first thing you want to be doing is getting what what your what the required outcome is that you want from a user when they get into your platform and measuring whether that you they are succeeding in doing that because then that causes you to 
ask further questions about, okay, so is the problem my product? Is the problem my marketing to? Is the problem how I'm onboarding them? And that allows you to get product market fit much faster than if you are just worrying about tracking all of the pieces of crap that your user does in your app. So yeah, does that is that pretty well answer your question? Yeah, it does. It definitely does answer the question, which really the one of the main key components over there is to don't measure everything on, on, on day one, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, we made that mistake. <laughs> yes. So uh, well, I'm going to come to that in just a little bit. But let's talk about, and I know, you know, tools are not the silver bullet, right? Exactly. But how does how does the tool stack look like in the early days? And how would that mature, if, let's say, you know, the, the first stage and then the, the second stage? How, how would you say that something like that would look like? For analytics, so it's kind of five step. There's kind of five stages that I like to talk about. The first is that, every, like I said, everyone starts out with something like Google Analytics, and GA is great. It's the first port of call. It tracks screens and pages people are visiting. I might install on my website as well to gauge market demand. People also will get on board with a CRM like Free HubSpot or PipeDrive or, or Zoho, and then they will get an email builder like MailChimp, for example. People want to know how people are using their, their product in the website. They want to know uh, what their deal flow looks like uh, to track you know, uh, deals. And people want to be able to, to send communications to their users. So people usually start out with that, and that's that's excellent. Where people, and this is where we, we started to stumble at early days, is then people want to, step two is people want to know exactly what people are doing in their app. Because we had started from a basis of tracking everything like i'm talking user clicks pen and we have properties of it was this hex value color pen it was coming from this either a mouse or a or a digital pen it was coming from the previous screen like it was just granular just a lot of data people will then so step two is that people will try to infer the data infer information from the data they have so sometimes they will succeed in that, uh, but often they'll just kind of bolt on things as they need it and they'll have custom dimensions and custom metrics in, in, in GA and they'll just pop, bolt things on. The third stage is, is really then you start to explore the wonderful world of the startup ecosystem in terms of technology where we went, okay, we've got intercom this is great we've got we experimented with heat maps so hot jar doing all your analytics tracking sorry advertising tracking like facebook linkedin all the bits and pieces and you just Easy start to get overwhelmed getting everything installed and you have all these little libraries in your app and for us we have we have we have a windows 10 client an ios client a web app sorry with two windows 10 clients a what do you call it a, a, a cloud infrastructure and the website and then user voice and then set, like you got to install this stuff everywhere right and you kind of get overwhelmed and then the, the fourth stage is that people like we kind of alluded to at the start is that you the dastardly day will come when you realize that um you need to kind of put some custom events in there uh, not just what these tools are automatically tracking and then you really kind of start to refine what your questions are. You know, you start rather than asking the question of how many people are taking the blue pill, you say, why are people taking the blue pill instead of the red pill? Um, and you start putting events in there that track that specific behavior to help you answer those questions. And then the fifth step really is where we are today as Drawboard is we're at a stage where we are now scaling, especially that second product bull clip. And what we now need to do is bringing all, bring all of those metrics together in one place rather than having disparate sources of data 
and presenting those to everyone on the team in a way that everyone can use them rather than having to manage them. Yeah, five steps really is is you install your basics, then you um, try to infer the data that you, you need from what you have in those basics. You then install all the tools. Then you discover you need specific events. So you discover something like event stream versus click stream theory. And then uh, you need to stop managing your data and actually automate it. Okay. Let's talk about that because I think a lot of people are familiar. Hey, I set up Google Analytics. That's cool. CRM, marketing automation. Those are, yeah. you know, those are not necessarily, they're, they're yeah. definitely tied into analytics, but they're a world of, a, of their own, right? Mm-hmm. But I've installed Google Analytics, right? Yeah. And I now want to get event data out of out of my platform right now there are multiple ways that you could go about it there are you know there are tools like visualization tools like mixpanel amplitude there are some basic infrastructure tools like segment how would i go about that like all right cool google analytics is sorted i'm thinking of of uh, event streaming where do i start yeah one of the the things I did right <laughs> earlier on was getting on board with, you mentioned segment. So we, we use segment and what segment is, is if you, you imagine it as a, like a data switchboard. So instead of having to install 10 different, for instance, analytics, advertising tool widgets in your app, you install just segment, the segment uh, SDK, all of that event stream and clickstream data will go to segment and then segment will interpret that and send it on to all of your endpoints, all of your platforms in the language that they understand. So just because I'm, I will send, for instance, an event may be customer purchased, right? And that's the way that segment knows that that needs to be handled. Segment will then know that intercom needs that to be read as customer purchase.revenue. Amplitude needs to know that as revenue. GA doesn't care what that is interpreted as. And so segment does that interpretation for, for you rather than you having to manage multiple event analytics libraries in each of your clients. That was important for us at least because we had, like I mentioned, one, two, three, four, five, six client um, applications because we're a multi-platform tool. But what that allowed me to do as a marketer, and especially I'm, I was the only marketing person for a long time, and sorry, I still am. <laughs> we What that allowed me to do is just try different tools so that I could go, okay, I get what this uh, you know event streaming theory is, but how does Intercom do, deal with that? Or how does Amplitude, uh, should I use Amplitude for my product metrics or also for my analytics metrics? And so it allowed me to test things and and try things, especially is when you're using tools like you're trying to convert, trying to compare something like Hotjar, for example, to they've already forgotten what their main competitor to Hotjar is. You're trying to compare Crazy Egg, I think. Yeah, Crazy Egg was one of the early ones. So like what are the differences? Well, I'll just bolt them on and, and, and segment will deal with the asynchronous code injecting into my app. So that was one of the, the big things. Yeah. Okay. So let me summarize that. Yeah. I have Google Analytics, right? And I want to go to the next step. The mm. first step is is to set up segment. Yeah. Right. The step after yeah. that is to yeah. then decide what do you want to bolt on segment. Now, most probably it's going to be a visualization tool like yeah. Amplitude or Mixpanel that yeah. allows you to actually see your data uh, on top of segment. And yeah. then you can you can use that data from Google Analytics and uh, Amplitude, let's just take these for example, to make sense of what is happening inside of the application. 
Yeah, that's right. And I, I think even at a very base, and I'll explain what we're, what tools we use for what in a sec, but we, because it's not all about the tools, so I don't spend too long on no, that. Absolutely, yeah. We, the, at a very basic, basic level, type into Google segment spec, and that will give you their documentation on essentially what their API methods are. So, and if they break it down into different types of tracking. So, for instance, you, you track things on an event level, you track things on an, a user identity level, you track things on a screen level or a page level. It allows you to get your head around kind of what the nature of event streaming and how to track someone is. Because at the very least, even if you don't use segment, you can take that then into using something like Amplitude and then you can go, oh, okay, great. I can see that this is uh, what Segment called the identity section and this is what Segment called the the track section. And it's it's the same theory everywhere. It's just every platform kind of treats things a, bit, a little bit differently. But Segment is a great place and source of documentation to start. Okay. All right. That's cool. I'm measuring everything. Everything is looking great. Every All the data is being fired properly. Actually, we kind of. I wanted to ask, what are the what are the important points to measure? And you kind of covered that at, the, at, at least at the very early stages. You know, make sure you measure the LTV, the uh, monthly recurring revenue, and churn. Those are the yeah. three main factors to to measure. What didn't you measure in the early days that later on you came back and you said, "Oh, I wish I had yeah. measured that." What didn't we have early in the early days? I mean, we've kind of already said that we tried to track everything. It was a false sense that we didn't need to focus on specific questions because everything would be there when we needed it. So when you make a conscious decision to only track the things that will answer your questions, it causes you to ask more questions uh, later. So I think we would have ramped up our question answering ability much quicker if we didn't just make a decision to do a scattergun and track everything approach. We um, One of the big things, and um, if there's anything that people can take away from this is, so I mentioned at the start, our our first app, Drawwood PDF, has an in-app subscription service, which is like an additional tool set marketed towards people who need to use PDF annotation in their professional concept context, hence why we call it Pro. We The way that that was set up at the beginning was just due to the nature of how Microsoft operated. At the time we used Microsoft's billing platform was that we set it, we, we could only had the option to set it up so the subscription would not auto-renew. And then they released the ability for us to move to a different model of doing things, which will allow people to auto-renew. We were hesitant about doing that because there was an element of going, oh, we're not sure about you know, whether we want to just force people to auto-renew. It seems like a little bit disingenuous. We think we'll probably take a, a brand hit on that. You're going to take a brand hit anyway if you go from a pay once to a subscription model. If Adobe got through it, so can you? Actually, that's probably not true. We got through it, so can you? The the big thing we learned, though, is that our sentiment did not change and rather our revenue and subscriptions increased. So our, our revenue increased as a result of changing it to auto-renewing. So if, if, if you're wondering about going from a non-auto-renewing situation to auto-renewing for on your subscriptions, I can wholeheartedly recommend that you at the very least do a test to see whether, people, whether your sentiment will even change um, in doing auto-renewals, because for us, it didn't change compared to other moves we've made with our billing system in the past. And rather, yeah, our, our, our revenue and um, the popularity of that product increased because of the retention that we were getting on the back of it. So that was one of the big things. 
um, okay. in terms of mistakes. As much as you can, try to use the same platforms to track things. Yeah, so we had different methods just due to the nature of, like I said, how data was given to us by uh, Microsoft at the start. We were getting some, for example, churn data from Microsoft, which was calculated in a certain way. And understandably, they don't give us some some points of data because of um, security uh, due to data privacy. And we were tracking churn data in our other product using a different platform, which was based on event stream and also in, like implied events. If I had done it again, I would have just hustled and got that licensing data ourselves, even though we were also tracking it with Microsoft, mm-hmm. because at the very least, we can make educated decisions on the difference between the two apps based on our own data decisions, rather than presuming that we were getting that data on a set, was decided on a, a certain set of presumptions from Microsoft. So that kind of made our decision-making harder, which kind of leads me to my other, my last kind of thing I wish we had done, which is just track churn from the start. We didn't. We tracked feature usage, and we should have tracked churn. Right. Okay. That's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. Which is why now you have to track your licensing from the start. All, a lot of decisions would have been a lot easier if we just tracked licensing right from the get-go rather than focusing too heavy on product features. I see. I see. The end. Make sure the end goals and, and revenue are, are definitely being measured. Okay. Look, the next question that I wanted to ask was: Are there any other mistakes that you've made with analytics? But I think that that. Uh, I give you more. Yeah. I mean, if you want to give more, yeah, you know, um, shoot away. If there anything comes to mind, or I can go to the next question. Less of less of a mistake, more of a challenge. We, like I said, we moved from a uh, an own forever model into a a hybrid model with SaaS. So calculating metrics against own forever and SAS was has been difficult. Like just working out what our data model should look like in order to track that successfully. That's been a, a difficult thing to do. But I mean, our founder learned how to use Excel using uh, just a keyboard, no mouse. So um, we're sorted on the Excel analytics front. <laughs> oh wow, that is uh, that's a, that's a good <laughs> skill to have. You know, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. The only thing, yeah, sorry, the only thing I would then say is on the churn thing is what what in, what in particular did we wish we were tracking but didn't have it in the beginning is is getting really good cohort analysis as well. Um, so not just churn yeah. figures, but knowing when someone drops off and due to what because we do a lot of merchandising um, in terms of like in store merchandising with Microsoft, and so being able to align our cohorts with uh, when the campaigns were happening. It seems really simple, but because we had a bit of a data black box, yeah, it would have been a lot easier if we'd made decisions off the back of that. Can you tell us what was your perception of cohorts and how did that change over time? There might have been no changes or your kind of like maturity of understanding cohorts. Mm. Uh, was that was that a journey of like getting your head around it? Or was that, you know, from day one, you knew what you were talking about, you knew what you were looking at? And it was just a matter of, uh, you know, building the tool stack. It's a good question. I think the, I mean, on a high level, I, we didn't understand it to begin with because all we were presented with was what Google Analytics tells us. It, you know, it says based on, you know, visitors and known users, uh, this is what your cohort graphs looks like. Um, yep. and, it, and Google Analytics is hard to interpret sometimes unless you dig down into how, like I said, how they what presumptions they make on how they track things. For example, like when does the session expire? That it's really important to know if 
if you want to try if you want to try tracking how many clicks someone does within a certain session you need to know if it's going to auto expire when you uh when they close the app or if it's going to expire after 15 minutes on a timeout, stuff like that. There was a big learning curve, especially for me in the early days of learning how Google Analytics tracks things to know how to, to interpret their cohort analysis, especially as they only present things on an aggregate level. The the other thing is it took me probably, uh, it probably took me a year or so to properly get familiar with using, uh, creating and using segments you know, segments that I want to track, which kind of comes back to my whole first point is asking the right questions. So I need to know how many of our users who are on Surface Pro 7 devices are churning in the first few days. And so and to do that, I need to get really familiar with how you how Google Analytics um, creates the data model to create segments. So it's kind of just really understanding how GA tracks things and that once we got over that hurdle and once I was the knowledge holder of doing that, it makes creating those reports and making judgments and findings much faster. Yeah. And you brought up, I think you brought up a very good point over there that, and you briefly mentioned it before, that, hey, analytics is all good, but really the starting point of analytics, all of this all these tools and everything that we talked about are great, but the starting point of analytics is really figuring out what business questions you want to answer and then reverse engineering that to figuring out how you're going to get that analytics. Totally. And it matters, like, for example, who the audience is, because if you're, if you're pitching, for example, churn internally, right, and you want to pitch it to, if this is our churn rate for this product internally to the, let's say, to uh, your, your product team. And the, the, the way that you present that data and, the, and, the, and how, how you, uh, what presumptions you make when you're creating that, those questions is going to be very different to presenting churn data to an investor, for example. An investor wants to see, for example, improvement month by month on month with your given uh, explicitly stated industry vertical that you're focusing on. Your team doesn't necessarily care about that because that's presumed. But what they need to know is churn based on uh, feature usage or churn based on the last release that they just had. So the questions that you ask in terms of what data to implement, what events to implement to answer that, churn question is going to be very different depending on who your audience is. Yeah, no, very true. Very true. So how do you estimate LTV for an existing customer, i.e., are they adjust their value uh, to date, or do you try to estimate it? So yeah, so is it is it the the amount of money that they've given you today, or you try to estimate what is going to come forward as well? You know, at Drawboard, go about calculating the LTV of your customers. How did you do that in the past? How are you doing in, the, in currently? Yeah, yeah. Is there any difference? Well, the goal for calculating LTV is to know who your segments are so that you can market to them more, to more, more effectively and, and, can, and message to them more effectively. So it's really a, whilst it's a finance question, it's really a product marketing question. So if your question is uh, how, how much money do I expect my customers to give me before they eventually churn, a, a lot of what you're trying to track is more so, I'm trying to frame this in a way, you, wanna, you do want to estimate back so if you're, I presume your question is around if I'm just implementing today and I haven't had this before, you want to estimate back what your average uh, LTV is for a customer uh, working backwards because only that's going to give you an accurate forecast figure because uh, that's, that, that's one of the biggest impacts for us in terms of analytics is knowing how to forecast our business model success in a year's time or two years' time. Um, if your question is more around 
it's, that's 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 the that's the finance question. If it, your question is more around product marketing, uh, knowing what effects like who who my segmented customers are, you can really track it from now onwards. And then you just have to be really particular about what events you're tracking that tell you who your user is. So if we've got an architect, they're going to they're going to use the product in a different way than an engineer. And LTV is going to be different for each of those people depending on their feature uses. So it really depends on again who your audience is. What are the what what have been the shortcomings of analytics for you? Because a lot of uh, a lot of people mm. kind of look at analytics as that you know the 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 oh uh, you know I, I got to capture everything and, and, and all the data every all the answers are there right? Yeah. What have you seen being the shortcoming of analytics? Yeah, there's two, there's two things um, that I would say. One is use case feedback. So you, you just can't escape talking to people and understanding exactly the frame of mind that they're in when they're using your app. Um, and then we're talking about apps, but just software in general. It doesn't matter if you've got a Windows 64 app or you've got an app that's SaaS-based. You need to talk to people. You need to go on site. For us, that's a construction site or an architect's office. And you need to track that qualitative feedback. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't make some quantitative uh, analysis of that qualitative feedback, but you need to actually go and talk to people. You can't just sit in a bubble in an office and hope that metrics are going to solve all your problems because they will not. And there'll come a day when you've made all these decisions based on your analytics and all these decisions based on your metrics, and then you have 10 customers and say, oh, yeah, but that button should be over here because we don't use that section of the app. And then you're going, crap, I just spent six months and I've, I've, I didn't actually talk to anyone. A really simplistic answer. But we use a, a platform called Product Board. And what that allows us to do is we track all those, that sentiment, the customer sentiment from feedback. So if we get something in from Zendesk or user voice or um, email, one of the PMs will put that feedback into Product Board. And then you can associate, I haven't used it extensively, but the product guys use it every day, is they'll associate a like scores and quality scores to that feedback and categorize it. So when it comes to doing a product roadmap or planning our next sprint, we can go, okay, what's all the feedback on the integration with X? Like, what would people say about that historically? And then that guides us into the future. So that's that's one thing is you can't you can't get around um, talking talking to people for use case feedback. The other thing is branding efforts. So whilst to some degree you can hyper test messaging and variations of landing pages and onboarding uh, using metrics, tracking the impact of branding efforts. I like to say it's like trying to track which high five made your friend eventually invite you to their birthday party. So you can, to some degree, you can do some some tracking on uh, how good was that high five. Let's say the the strongest high five made them invite me or maybe we're doing attribution models. So it must have been the last high five that made them invite me. But you can't really track the brand value of how much, how, how much that, that high five series meant to someone and how it impacted them in their day to day that made them think of you when they were writing their birthday invites. So brand value is earned trust and trust is a fickle thing to try and quantify unless you've got a complex attribution model or, or money for a wider, wider consumer research, which, you know, we're, we're a scale up. We don't have that. And it's not money that I'm going to put into in the next uh, year and a half, but 
yeah, they're, they're the two things is use case feedback and brand. And to some degree, you're just going to trust the people that you have that know branding work or you pay someone who knows branding work and understands the psychology of how brand's going to impact people over time because there's a lot of studies that go into it and it's just hard. It's just hard to track for, for a startup. There's no yeah. getting around that. Fair enough. Fair enough. How do you decide what to tag? Uh, does more event tagging slow down your app? Now, you know, the first question, I think we yeah. we might have touched on this, and, and please feel free to add anything, but, you know, I think it really goes back to, uh, Aldi, making sure the questions that you have, what you tag is based on what the questions the questions are. You know, the exercise yeah. that I would definitely recommend is to just sit down yourself or with the team and say, what are the business questions that we want to answer? And then yeah. as a result of that, what are the um, what are the events that we need to track and information that we need to in order to get that uh, get that in? But is there anything yeah. on that point that you wanna you wanna add as well? Um, so again, the less is better, Audi. The so like Shaheen said, asking the right questions. Um, in terms of a structure to decide to decide what to track, what I did is I mapped out so there's a popular metric framework called Pirate Metrics from a, um, a, a guy out of uh, San, I think it's San Francisco that uh, basically says, okay, you need, so I mapped your, my acquisition metric. So how do I acquire users? And I got events around that. I got my activation metrics. So what are the set of events that, that tell me that a user has got the product? Um, I think the late Clayton, Clayton Christensen termed that as the job to be done. So what is the job that someone's doing, wants to get done for coming into your app and how do you measure that? So that's activation. And usually that's a key metric for onboarding to make sure they've got that. And then you kind of go into, there's three R's. So A-A-R-R-R, which is why it's called R, Pirate Metrics, Activation, Acquisition, Retention, Revenue, and referral. Referrals. So you've got... Revenue metrics are pretty simple in terms of how do you measure MRR, ARR. Re- retention is where you're measuring churn and referral is your, then you get into more granular stuff like what's the viral coefficient of how many people refer my app to others. But that's a little bit further down the track. You don't have to worry about it straight away. So in terms of a framework, I would look up pirate metrics and just try to map a metric, a key metric to each of those stages because that will then inform, particularly for your app, what the definition of success is to move to the next stage of either product development or marketing campaigns or whatever that looks like. Does, so to answer the question, does event tagging slow down your app? No, it hasn't slowed down our, our app particularly um, unless you're tracking everything. So we exceeded the Google Analytics event limit. I think we're tracking in the millions every day, if not more. Um, or way more than that. So to some degree, it, but still that doesn't really slow down our Windows 10 app. And that's all an anima, anonymized data, by the way. The uh, only- Just to clarify that. Just to clarify that. But yeah, we uh, we take uh, you know data privacy really seriously when we're thinking about all this sort of stuff. So no, not really. It's, it's a short answer. It doesn't really slow down your app. Cool. Um, and a lot of these SDKs optimized to make sure that it doesn't slow down your app. Otherwise, they're not going to get retention themselves. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Okay. What is look? I got I got two more questions, and and we can wrap it up. What is the next step for for Drawboard? Like where you are currently, and you've described that quite a lot. What is the next thing that, uh, from an analytics perspective, you and the team are going to put in place? A lot of it's around hygiene for us. 
which our head of finance loves because his name is Gene. So whenever we talk about hygiene, he gets a, a good adrenaline um, kick. But we, so a lot of it is working out how to present these metrics, our team, so that our team can use them. We kind of alluded to this before, where I've been, I've been doing using analytics for marketing. And so I've been implementing them away and maintaining it and all that sort of stuff, which is great. Product team has been using Amplitude, been using GA to track this sort of stuff for their usage. But how do we bring all of our key met- our key SASH metrics? An example would be how do we put everything into that pirate metrics model to put in front of the whole team, but more importantly, how to automate the in that dashboard so that I don't have to manage it anymore. So there's a lot of uh, pushing, nurturing, remodeling, all this sort of stuff. So what I'm doing now uh, is essentially cleaning up our uh, our billing platforms, making sure everything is true um, for any future product plans we have. There's a, a clear event schema uh, for people to follow for implementing new analytics, uh, making sure that there is a central source of truth for everyone, whether it's board level, whether it's product level, whether it's intern level to look at and go, oh, I see how the impacts the impact of this feature is having on our churn uh, historically. So to some degree, it's a data scientist approach without a data scientist. Mm-hmm. So really, it's really hygiene because it's only that that's going to allow us to to scale as a small company. We don't have the resource or it's not, it's not about the resource. It's more we, we don't think it's important to have a five-person BA team if we've got Makes um, sense. a system that does it for us. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. i got one last question that I want to ask. And that is related to resources. So if somebody wants to, you know, know more about analytics and build their knowledge, where would you say they should start? You know, are there books, are there podcasts, are there blogs, are there, you know, courses that you recommend? Where where would I start? Oh, good question. I I don't think I'm allowed to say just learn on the job. I don't think that's helpful. I think so attending events like Growth Colony is really important to make sure that you're you're gauging gauging what you understand against what other people understand. Like I said, you don't want to be in a bubble of of just trying to work it out yourself because then you go down a certain train or a certain track and then you realize you're wrong two months down the track. So attending events is really important to essentially benchmark your knowledge against others. So that's one thing. Again, I, I mentioned the segment spec. That's just good knowledge hygiene to kind of understand how event streaming works if you're not in in that area there's a couple books product like growth really good that's going to help you understand how to make your application really a high generalist level but how to make mm-hmm. your application sell itself rather than trying to feed your app with with leads and then i mean generally i mean short, short courses on analytics can only if, if as long as it doesn't set you back too much to on on marketing even if you if you're not from a marketing background just like basic frameworks so you understand stuff like clayton christensen's models understanding uh, values targeting, all these little things that help you understand what a psych- psychological triggers are for people because that'll ask, help you under- ask what the right questions you need to do your data. Um, just short courses are, are kind of the yeah. best thing. I don't I don't really recommend anything particular as having been, you know, foundational for me. Yeah, some of the some of the things that uh, I totally know what you're saying, and some of the some of the material that I've come across, you know, I think. I think that there's a book called Lean Analytics that is really good. I can't remember the author of it. There's another one which is called which is called 
hacking growth by John Ellis. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good one as well. I mean, that's the guy who who coined the the term ha- growth hacking and now kind of regrets it. But uh, <laughs> because it's been, he gets a lot of speaking money out of that. I don't think I, I'm sure. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. And lastly, one of the one of the resources that I've come across that has been really good is they they put a lot of resources out, but there it's a it's a training program in Amsterdam. I know they have an office in London as well called Growth Tribe. And, mm-hmm. and they put a lot of material out there and some of them are very insightful. You don't necessarily need to attend the, the courses uh, that are only in person. They don't have anything online. They, they put some really good material out as well. If people wanted to reach out and know more about you, what's, what's the best way they can do that? Firstly, probably connect with me on LinkedIn. You can probably, yeah, either if you're in Melbourne, love to grab a coffee or we can uh, just keep chatting on LinkedIn. It's probably the best way. Besides that, shoot me an email at nathan at drawboard.com and we can chat further there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, Nathan. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice. And for more B2B growth content, check out our website, growthcolony.org. Looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Have a great day.